Well, good morning. If you have your scriptures, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. We are in week 2 of a study of uh, seven signs in the book of John. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. First of all, uh, continue to pray uh, as we've talked about for Pastor Gary. I just want you to know as difficult and troublesome as this uh, has been for him, he is doing better. He continues to improve. On Monday, we had a picture scheduled because we have Pastor Jacob with us now. We're going to get the pastor's picture. And his email to us was, uh, pastors on staff, do you see what lengths I'll go to to avoid a picture? (laughs) So he's doing better. He's doing better, but continue to pray. Pray for Pam. You guys who have been through situations of health in the past, you know this as difficult as it is on the person who is seeking treatment and needs help, it's all the more difficult for the person who is healthy and strong to uh, wear two and sometimes more uh, hats, if you will, as they, their plate becomes full as well. So let's be praying for her as well. This series of signs in the book of John, profound and strong for us, We live in a generation of unbelief. We live in a generation of uh, giving a little but not fully, of non-commitment, of let me put off my opinion about the the scriptures or the claims of Jesus or where we're going with, with life. Right, So we, we live with this reality that possibly in this place here this morning, some of us are still not convinced that Jesus is the Christ. And so we, we move back time and time again, and we ask ourselves, why do we believe that Jesus alone is Messiah? Why do we believe he's the one? Why do we believe that Christianity is not merely the the best of many possible religions? We're coming back to this study, that that Jesus is the Messiah promised of the Old Testament. And and so we're, we're calling you and me to not listen to this message this morning as if we're talking about someone else or as if we're talking about merely Um, something that is important but not ultimate. This question, belief in Jesus alone is the difference between, as we looked at last week and we'll look at again today, it's the difference between life and death. Seeing all that he did, all that he said, we have to answer the question in your heart, who do you say Jesus is? And so the second sign in the book of John, the second of actually many, many, there's there's actually dozens of signs. In fact, at the end of the book, John finally says, I could have written about many other signs. I wrote about these so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so in our culture, those that would say it's not enough, those who would say, I need more, I need fresh evidence, those who would say, Give me more time. I'm just not ready yet. Just not quite ready yet. We're calling those and, and more to come and look, not, at, not to listen to me, but to listen to the word of God and to see Jesus. Jesus, good and gracious, ever pursuing the ones. And that's where we want to, to end the intro. 
If you're here today and you've been resisting, if you're here today and you're still not convinced, you're here today as a favor to your mom. Welcome. We're really, really glad you're here. The reality is many of us started right there. We started in this place of like, oh, I mean, I, I, in fact, that's where this passage starts, right? So let's start. I'm going to actually read it in, from verse 43 all the way down to the end of John chapter 4. So John 4, even though I know our, our message is really starting at verse 46, we're going to pick it up in verse 43. John 4, 43, here we go. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet was no, uh, prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He was going down. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that, his son was recovering. And so he asked, them at the, at, at the, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, about one o'clock, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Father, lift up our eyes to see Jesus. I pray that my heart would not be a heart that gave Jesus a lukewarm welcome that was impacted by the the city of Cana to go out and say, look, Jesus, the famous guy, everybody's paying him attention. He's from here. He's put us on the map. Help me see my heart. And I pray, Father, that we would long for the one who can bring life, the one who can forgive sin, the one who can bring us back to the living God, the one who loves us like that. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This whole passage is about unbelief. It's about the reality that though Jesus does miracles and and signs to prove that he is who he says he is, that many of us can see that sign and fall into a, okay, what, what have you done for me lately kind of mindset. 
We can fall into a, uh, okay, the whole crowd, though, receives him a little, but not fully. And if I'm not careful, I fall into, let's have a party, let's have a parade, let's keep Jesus in our midst, let's receive the accolades that come from being his people. But the real question is, what about me? What about you? Where is your heart? Because it is insufficient to come to the end of our life and say, I was there at Cana when we welcomed you and there was a party, Jesus. It is, it's insufficient for us to say, I, I was with the people that thought it was great that you were from Cana. I was your brother and I grew up with you, some of these kids could say to him. It's, that's not enough. And the beauty of this is as that attitude of disbelief or needing more evidence, or come a little closer, persists, that Jesus, who does not owe us any more proof, he comes so close. He tenderly knows the need of the hour, and he proves himself again. If we could tie together the miracles from last week and this week, we would see the, the miracle he did of turning the water to wine in Cana has now uh, some, some space between now and then. So what he did was after that, he went down to Jerusalem, you remember. It was the time of the Passover, he cleansed the temple, and uh, the people said to him, well, listen, you've done some pretty remarkable things here at the temple today. What sign do you show us to prove that you have the authority to be behaving like this, right? And then you remember he went out to the Judean countryside and there was baptizing going on with John the Baptist. And then you remember he said, okay, I've got to go back to Galilee now, where we were in Cana. We've got to go back. But first, I've got to go through Samaria. Now, if you remember, and if we took a quick look, I know that we're not quite up to it in the, in the outline, but if you could show that map, the map right there you see there, he's down south, and he's got to go up to the north, uh, and, and it would typical, we all know, you know, he, the, obviously you'd go through Samaria, but sometimes the Jews would actually like go across the river and go up the other side so they didn't have to walk in Samaria. So the concept that he was going through Samaria with these people that that the Jews did not like is a a bold statement of his love for people. In Samaria, incidentally, you can read this on your own, he proved himself by telling the people who he was and by telling them that he knows everything about them. You remember that? The widow at the well, the widow that, that he comes in contact with, or not the widow, but the, the woman. And in, uh, so the conversation goes back and forth, and finally she is convinced that he is the Messiah, not because he did great miracles, not because he showed great signs. Come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. And the whole town came out because of her testimony. And now he gets back to his hometown, and as, it's as if he would say, I just had this great, beautiful, amazing moment in Samaria where they embraced me and trusted me and believed that I'm the Messiah. And now I get home. Well, let's pick it up and see what he found when he got home. Verse 43, after two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Let's stop right there. 
Those words are weird in this context. First he says, I've got to go to Samaria. And now he says, because my own hometown does not receive me, rejects me, I've got to go there next. That word for there, that's in the parentheses, uh, for, that means that's like the reason why he's got to go back. Because they don't receive me, I've got to go back. Let's put it in modern day English for you and me. Because your son continues to reject him, he's going to go pursue him some more if he's ultimately going to become a part of the family of believers. Where there is resistance, Jesus persists. Where there is unbelief, he takes the next step. Jesus continually pursues the one who does not believe. And that's exactly what's happening here, especially the one who does not believe who he has designs on bringing into the family of of God. And so he does just that. I mean, again, as you look at verse 43, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own, own hometown. So he's going home. He's going home. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now we're still on the map for a moment here. They welcomed him. And you see that the Galilee is this region. And if you can see the cities on the map, uh, you can see that we're in Cana. And later we're going to see the guy come from Capernaum. I put it up there just so you have this picture. That distance would be as if you and I, after church, got together and uh, said, okay, let's walk to Cedar Grove from here right? Let's, let's just do that together. It's not that far, but it's enough, right? Like it's, it's going to take, take it out of you to go that. Now, it didn't take it out of them because they were used to it. It would take it out of us because we're used to getting in a car, right? So about 16 miles away is the nature of uh, this region that he's in in Galilee. So as Jesus is confronting this unbelief, the first concept here is he doesn't give up on those who are curious but still unbelieving. He doesn't give up. You say, well, John, why are you emphasizing this idea of curiosity? We'll look at verse 45. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans were curious about him. Now, it says they welcomed him. And if you and I read that at face value, we might think there was a party. But here's what we learn in John chapter 3, John chapter 2. Jesus knows their heart and did not trust himself to them. And so the party means nothing. The party is a group of people that gathered and were happy that Jesus had made a good name for them while he was in Jerusalem and had done signs. And can I just tell you that the the gathering, uh, calling something Christian in this generation, or coming in here on a Sunday morning, so glad we're gathered together, and so many of us are walking in the Word of God and belief uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, and there's some of us that are here because, as we said before, Mom wants us here. We're married to somebody who wants us here. Somebody texted you and said, are you going to church? You're here. That's not a slam on you, my friend. If you are the daughter of somebody who's, your mom's sitting next to you, two seats over, you're here for her today, our arms are so wide open to you, 
because every one of us needed a, a pathway. Every one of us needed a process. Every one of us were at the point in life where we were considering the claims of Jesus and we just weren't quite sure yet. Or we didn't understand the implications of totally giving in to him. And so here this morning, there you may be a face in the crowd of a bunch of people, and the assumption is positivity. The assumption is loyalty. But the reality in your heart, and you know your heart, is that you're not quite sure. Welcome. Welcome. We praise God that you're here with us this morning. Jesus knows that this, uh, this servant, this uh, um, official in the court, we're going to look at him in just a minute. He knows his heart. He knows what's going on there. And so Jesus confronts unbelief. He does not give up on those who are curious. As we come down to verse 46, we see this, that he has clearly revealed his person, his word, and his works. He is the Messiah. See that in verse 46? So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. He comes back to the place of his first miracle. And at Capernaum, 16 miles away, there is a guy who heard. Now, if you remember last week, right after he got done with the miracle at the wedding, I don't know if it was like, you know, the the next stop or whatever, but he, he wandered back over where? To Capernaum. So there's this connection between Cana and Capernaum. And Jesus went to Cana and then Capernaum, and now here he is back at Cana, and somebody from Capernaum is coming over and saying, hey, I remember when you were here, turn that water to wine. I need you to, I need some help, man. I need some help. And so he is clearly revealed in these works. Remember, remember last week? He said that who saw that Jesus had turned the water to wine? Much like who announced that he had come, the angels came and the the birth was announced to the shepherds. And last week we saw that it was the servants and just his disciples that saw that he miraculously turned water to wine. Small groups of people that are convinced who Jesus is that start wandering out into the community with the word and the word about Jesus spreads like wildfire. He's clearly revealed himself now, and he's back. He's back. So if we see that in verse 46, that he clearly revealed himself, and then we take a look at verses 47 through 50, he's graciously available to people in our darkest moments. Verse 47, let's pick it up. Uh, Actually, let's pick it up at 46b. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. Two things we want to say about this official. Number one, the few things we know about him, the, the word indicates that he served the local power, the local, you know, tetrarch. So it's Herod Antipas. Herod's a bad, bad dude. He is the political enemy. He is the one who would stand for everything that is wrong in the land. He oppressed and brought trouble, was probably out of his mind, put John the Baptist to death. I mean, he was a bad guy who was living way far away from the ways of the Lord. Now, 
as I was typing this week and typing out these notes, the moment that brought me to tears was typing out this sentence. Jesus came to Cana to make himself available to this unnamed man. And I wonder if we're not meeting here today in this place to extend an invitation to you from Jesus, the King of Kings. We're here to be a faithful witness in this generation, on this date, in this place, to, to say to the world and to one another, Jesus is the King. He's the King. And the opportunity is that, that he's inviting you to a, to a complete, no-holds-barred, fully all-in belief that Jesus is the Christ. He's graciously available to us in our darkest moments. And by the way, that's what it's going to take, and that's what it took for this, this guy. This guy had a great job. He had influence. He had dollars. He had no need of Jesus until his son got sick. Friends, we live in a, in a nation and we live in a generation of people that don't need Jesus Christ. They can go their own way and they have made themselves believe that in self-sufficiency, in the opinion of the, the crowd that they gather in, that they have enough, we have enough religion if we could just be baptized a little bit, a little Jesus over us, and we could just have a little of him, then that will be sufficient and we'll decide how much or how little, and we're going to kind of just keep it nice and easy, but the reality is when it comes down to it, I can trust me for my life. And Jesus has a way of putting you and me in a situation where we come to our senses and realize there's something I desperately need and I cannot provide it for myself. He was so gracious to let this man's son almost die because he couldn't save his son. And he knew it. And my friend, your neighbor can't change the cancer diagnosis. And you can't fix the relational problem. And you can't overcome some of the issues that, that you're facing right now. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus remains available. He comes in a moment like that to draw you in. Problem is, we continue to think we can do it. We travel among people who, who all pass away. We go to funerals where people say things like, you know, they lived a good life or all these different things that we do to comfort one another. And in our mind, there needs to be someone who says, listen, you cannot stay a, a, a face in the crowd and continue to believe what this generation is telling you about self-sufficiency. You can't stay where you're at and like Jesus a little. You can't just continue down that road. It's, there's, a, there's a moment that has to come where you are confronted by the reality of the sovereign nature of who Jesus is and decide either yes or no. And that's where this man is. Jesus came to Canaan to make himself available to this unnamed man. And uh, can I just remind you too, as we keep reading, Jesus owes him nothing. Here, here he continues on. 
He went to him, when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him, to come down, come down and heal my son. You can do signs, you're a miracle worker. Look, he's at the point of death, verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, as you have your finger on that phrase in your scriptures, you see the word you, it probably has an asterisk or a note next to it in the text, because Jesus is not talking to the guy. Jesus is not saying, thanks for coming, unnamed guy. Um, Let me tell you something, right? No, because we know that because the you is plural. So Jesus looks up and to the whole crowd that's gathered, uh, kind of welcoming him in this moment, he says, all you guys in Galilee want is more miracles. You just want more miracles. You want me to keep performing like I'm some sort of sideshow, some act. And and here's the word we get from that. Jesus does not owe you any more miracles. He doesn't owe it to me either. This one is written in the text of Scripture. To prove beyond the shadow of doubt to all people at all times, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, the only one who can bring us back to God. This is not, don't see yourself in this story like, well, I am the the, um, servant and I'm going to get a miracle. Maybe. You'll see what Jesus does in a minute. I don't owe you a miracle, but he's going to give you a miracle. Don't see yourself as Jesus. Who, the, the voice of Jesus, we are the author, if, if you will, of this, saying, look at what's recorded here. I am fully convinced by the signs that Jesus already did when he was here that there is none other, and so I will not look for fulfillment to any other source than Jesus Christ and him alone. This is proven here, and so we're seeing Jesus has come. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's the key word. Jesus is confronting unbelief. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, graciously available in every moment, Jesus does different things in different moments to help us out. In Samaria... He said, hey, listen, I know everything about you, and I still love you. And she's broken. Here, the man needs no theology, no instruction. In fact, um, the official said to him, sir, notice he does not say Lord. He does not say rabbi. He does not know fully the identity of Jesus yet. Sir, And if we could read it in the original language, it would say, come help me before my little guy dies. I'm not looking for a sign. Save me. Save me in this moment. I am desperate, and no one else can help. Guys, Jesus came to Galilee for this guy. And if you're here today and you're saying, 
you know what, I'm still in the place where I, I think I, I've got the answers to my life. Jesus is graciously going to reduce your strength with great love and stay available to you while he says, come, come to me. I love you. I will help you. I am the king of kings and lord of lords. Come before my child dies, he says. And we continue on then in verse um, 50. He is graciously available to us in our darkest moments. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. Now, sometimes believing in Jesus is a process and not just a moment, right? And so there's this, okay, all right. Do you see what it says there? Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. He has done a miracle. And let's stop and just take that in for a minute. Here's the miracle. From 16 miles away, with all of the power of the universe in him, he speaks a word and immediately healing takes place 16 miles away. If we could read it, this, this does not say your son will live. This says go, your son lives. He's okay. I don't believe there was a process for this little baby. The, uh, the uh, folks who come in say the fever broke yesterday, and I think if they fully understood what happened, they would say yesterday at 1 o'clock, this kid went from sick to well, just like that. That's what Jesus did. He has that power. He doesn't owe it to us to give, but he often gives it, and that's called grace. It's grace, and Jesus gives grace to this man. And so he believes, you see what he believes? The word. Jesus is calling attention to his person. If you remember in the, in, uh, when he was with the, the, the woman in, in Samaria, just in the previous story, he says, she says, we know that one is coming from heaven who will take away the sins of the world. And he has already said, if you knew who was talking to you, I would give you the, the, the water that would never run dry. And he says at the end of that story, I, who you am speaking to, am he, I am. So he's revealed his person. And now here, this person is called to believe the truth, to believe the word, believe what he says. Believe that he is the one who comes from heaven. And so uh, that is the call of this man of unbelief. And that's the call. And you this morning, if you're here today and you're still saying, yeah, I, I've been a part of many uh, you know, parties, I've been a part of parades, I've been a part of church services, I've been a part of youth groups, I've been a part of, of all of this, and, and that was a phase in my life, and I went through it. And now, if you really quiz me regarding what I actually believe about Jesus Christ right now, I'm just telling you, eh, I'm not ready to, to go all in. Not ready to go all in. I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see. And this guy was waiting to see, and and when he comes with this great need that he himself cannot impact, he believes the word that Jesus said. Do you believe who Jesus says he is? The pathway to true faith in Jesus Christ, number four, it looks different for different people. 
verses 51 and 52. We talked about this already. We're going to move through this rather quickly. The Samaritans needed the word, but this man here seeks a sign. Greeks want wisdom. The Jews want signs. And so this Galilean does not need academic information. But here in this moment, here's what's happened, is the crowds sway. The afterglow of the party. The parade is over and he's at home. And he looks inside of his own heart and has to ask this question, what do I believe apart from the crowds about Jesus? In fact, not just apart from the crowds, in opposition to the crowds. What do you believe? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the only one who can take away the sins of the world? Do you believe that he proved it clearly time and time again? Do you believe that he invites you and will faithfully take care of your soul? Do you believe that you need to repent of your way of life, doing life without him, going your own way, thinking your own thoughts, thinking you've got this? Do you believe that that the veneer is not enough and come to this place where you are repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ exclusively? That's the invitation that Jesus makes. And so Jesus blows up the way that he had been thinking and this man had to come to the place where he believes the word. And believing the word is a good first step. He starts wandering home. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way, verse 51. As he was going down, and again, that's a statement of topography, not a statement of going south. uh, His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. His servants must be pretty awesome dudes. He's like, man, kid's better. Let's go find him and tell him right away. This is good news. When you got good news, you go out and tell it. You go out and announce it. Verse 52. So he asked the hour. When he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at 1 o'clock. Sometimes God does miracles. Can I just tell you, this week, I prayed with different people six to ten times that God would do a miracle. We still believe today God does miracles. He heals. He provides work. He restores relationships. My story this week is a story of of, uh, a marriage that was on the brink of disaster and the Lord brings healing and hope and, and brought the relationship back together when the person finally gave up and said, I've done everything I can and I just gotta ask God to do what I can't do. God did it. God does it. God doesn't owe us miracles, but I'm telling you, he's still gracious. He's still all-powerful. He still works. We still believe that he does things like that. We are fully convinced by John chapter 4, this miracle. We don't need more miracles for him to prove that he is the only Christ. But man, he gives them out of grace and kindness to us. So there's this point in time when we fully believe. And you see that in verse 52. So he asked them the hour yesterday about 1 o'clock. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. Now that word is the final statement to us. He's all in. He's fully convinced. He himself is a reflexive, which means that man, that man believed in that moment. 
He believed fully in spite of the crowd, in spite of the unbelief, in spite of the narrowness, in spite of the shallowness of the people around him, in spite of the reasons to continue to wonder, he is fully convinced in his heart that Jesus alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. In that moment, even if his son had died, he would say, but I believe. Can I just tell you what happened in this guy's life next? Not in the text, but here's what I can tell you. He fully believes, and the next day, life went on, and it was still hard. Someday, his wife, maybe, passed away, or he came into this crisis of belief, and he's like, I'm working for this political enemy. What am I going to do with this? Can I live with myself? Go down the list of all the things that went wrong in his life after that, and he goes back to this day and goes, yes, but that is the day when he himself believed Christ alone. We're going we're to give four or five points of application, and then we're done. Number one, have the moment that you became fully believed, fully convinced that Jesus is the Christ, clear in your mind at all times. If that happened when you were 12 years old, have a sense. What did it take? Was it a proof? Did he step in? Did he do a miracle? Who is there? Why do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? This world is dying for you and me to have the reason that we believe in Christ so that when the crowds come together and worship him this much or gather in his name or there's a parade and Jesus' name is shared, you and I are ready to say, he radically, fully, finally changed my life and I'm ready to talk about it if you're ready to listen. Have it ready to go because this world needs to know, was it because he knew everything about you, Samaritan woman? Was it because he showed you a sign, dude from Capernaum? Why do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Be ready to bring it because this world needs it. Number two, the church of Christ is amazing and continues the work of Jesus proving that he is the only Christ to this day. That's what we're all about. That's why we exist. You say, where do you get that from this text? I don't. I get it from this book, though. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, Jesus says, uh, you will do these works and you will do far more works if you walk in my ways. You will continue to do the works and do far more than I ever did. Jesus said to his followers, you and me. That's why the church exists today, to do works faithfully in the name of Jesus. One of the works is love. Did you know that? John 13, 35. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Get involved in the church and in Uh, the the ministries of the church to do good work in his name. Number three, your ongoing and growing trust and joy in Jesus will change this world. So the crowd's all gathered, and they all go home, and this is kind of a rehearsing of the, the first thing we said, be ready and be happy to talk to anyone, anytime about why you love Jesus. Number four, do not give up on progressive employees of the political opposition or anyone. Don't give up. You say, my sister has an, like a permanent, don't give up. You say, yeah, but the divorces don't 
give up. The diagnosis is right here, right now. Don't give up. Do not give up. Jesus went back to his home because of the opposition to confront unbelief with love. And finally, when you have opportunity to speak, don't speak about morality. Don't speak about politics. Don't speak about your preferences. Don't speak about even some of your convictions. Speak about Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus can change their life. My politics can't change anybody's life. My preferences, even my morality. Now, as I nestle up close to Jesus and live out his ways, I hope they're going to follow me as I follow Jesus. But when I start a, real, uh, a discussion with somebody who's not in the faith, a lot of times I'm going to rub them the wrong way. If they don't love Jesus, they don't care about your morality. And so we start with this topic. Let's all faithfully give an account of why we believe Jesus is the Christ. He has proved it to us, and then he has sent us out from him on mission into the streets of Sheboygan County. Go tell everyone why you believe that Jesus is the Christ. So, My friends, we end with this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but this one that we just studied today, that's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's stand to be dismissed. Father, as we go from this place, we want to love Jesus with our whole, whole heart, mind, and soul. Help us to see that, yes, that does require repentance. That does require an, a decision of the will. That does require a willingness to leave behind the opinions of this generation fully. But you have, in, you have fueled that kind of faith by proving yourself to us time and time again. In our story today, we think about this. Yesterday at 1 o'clock, where was I? This man had been talking to you. And it was the final piece that proved to him, that brought life to him, that brought complete repentance in his heart, and that made him loyal to you for the rest of his life. And I pray you do a work here. Lord, if anyone here is knowingly in opposition, faithless to you, I pray they feel welcomed. I pray they see Jesus. And I pray that you do what you want to do in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.